1: Craig, thank you. It is uh, Friday, March 3rd, 2023. I'm Dave Congleton, kicking off the 4 o'clock hour. Gary from Pismo is coming in at 5 o'clock. He had a place and he lost a place. He was homeless for a while. He wants to follow up on the conversation we had earlier this week with Lance Parker. That works for me. And it's Friday, so let's hear from King Harris. King, tonight will talk about the number one songs from the 1960s that should not have been number ones. Pete Howard, my next guest, might know something about that. Pete is back on this broadcast. He is the Entertainment and Music Consignment Director specializing in classic concert posters for heritage auctions at the mouthful how are you sir <laughs> I'm doing great does that either. work
2: for you is that that, that works just fine that's okay. just fine yeah
1: uh, let's tease uh, we're, g- we're gonna be joined shortly by Gary mm-hmm alright wh- what, what's uh, going on Gary's your boss
2: yeah sorta yeah he's he's certainly my senior he's been there 17-18 years and so he's seen and done everything All right but um, he's got a local angle here Yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, sure does, where Gary came out with a team from the Heritage Office in Dallas and uh, acquired the Jim Copeland Record Collection. As in the Copeland brothers in this town. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. And so it's amazing. Gary says it's the best. Gary's Mr. Vinyl. He's been to hundreds of record shows all over the world in his life. He once owned a record store chain. He's Mr. Vinyl, and he said it's the best record collection he's ever taken in at Heritage in a a generation.
1: So we'll get the details on that shortly. Mm -hmm.
2: Meanwhile, so explain to people what it is you do, Pete. Sure, absolutely. Well, as consignment director, any auction company, of course, needs stuff to come in, which they then sell and take their percentage, their cut. And so they have consignment directors in every area of specialty. And Heritage, being the third biggest auction house in the world, and America's biggest, uh, has 40 divisions, everything from sports memorabilia to ladies' hands handbags to ladies little, handbags absolutely luxury division yeah um and of course obvious things like coins and things like that and we have a music and entertainment division and uh that's what I do pretty much with Gary and a couple of others and I specialize in the rare concert posters which have been going through the roof Gary does things like guitars clothing um autographs all that stuff do people still collect stamps you know, um Stamps took a huge dive yeah. because the community decided we don't want grading. It was a boneheaded move. Coins and baseball cards and even concert posters being graded have taken off. And the Stamp people were old and stodgy. They didn't adapt to change. And Stamps have plummeted. But people, I, I heard they're starting to make a comeback. <laughs>
1: hmm. Explain the grading process for concert posters.
2: Well, it's it's interesting. It's really a two-pronged thing because when you would buy something in the old days, if somebody told you on the phone that it was mint and you'd send in the money and then you'd get it and it's like, well, what's this tear and what's this crease and what's this and that? So naturally, it would be a good idea, just like baseball card did, baseball cards years before it, to have a third party who got paid that would grade the poster, obviously, completely objectively and strictly put a grade at the top and then encapsulate it in sealed plastic so no more wear could happen to it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, on a scale of one to ten, you know, obviously a perfect concert poster would be a ten, of which there are very few, but anything in the nines is considered investment grade quality, and those are the ones that have taken off financially.
1: Remind us of what's the holy grail in concert posters these days? What's Mm. the one? Or the couple?
2: Yeah, the couple. Sure. Well, there's two kinds of concert posters. There's paper psychedelic ones, and there's cardboard telephone pole posters. And on the cardboard telephone pole telephone pole poster side, um, there's the Beatles Shea Stadium concert poster from New York 1966 there's less than 10 known to exist it goes for a quarter million dollars now quarter million yeah Um, but remember in November we had that um, exception to the rule with the poster for Buddy Holly's plane going down in 1959 and we got $447,000 for that a world record so that's the cardboard side, Dave, I can say, I wish they could see your expression too. Yeah. Um, on the paper psychedelic side, there's lots of favorites, but the head and shoulders sort of above the others is the Grateful Dead Skeleton and Roses, um, which has broken now at Heritage we've broken $100,000 several times, but it's got to be up there in the 9.6 grade or 9.8. What's the value of that? I mean, why is that so valuable? Because it's, it's a matter of supply and demand, there's a huge demand for it because it's a gorgeous poster, it's got all the bells and whistles, it's the dead, it's the beginning of the San Francisco scene and everything, and there are very few original printings from before the show in near mint condition.
1: Craig has a question. Craig, what does a like a mint Woodstock poster go for?
2: Um, we sold one because it came from Michael Lang's collection, the, the promoter Michael, of Woodstock. Oh, okay, he, yeah. Um, so we got ten thousand for that. But for um, without killer Providence like that, just a mint one, the big red one, right? Um, it's worth um, you know say four or five thousand.
1: I'm surprised. That seems very low. Only ten grand for a mint woodstock.
2: The thing is, Craig, there's a lot of them. Yeah. There's a lot. They, they overprinted it. In mint condition? It. Well, actually Michael Lang himself had a small stash of mint ones. Arnold mm-hmm. Skolnick who designed it, he had a stash of mint ones. Because they knew it was special and they're like, we better hang on to some. Actually, Dave, not in 1969. No, mm-hmm. nobody was looking at this stuff as investments. They just merely overprinted it because, you know, the woodstock. But how did they end up keeping in mint condition? They didn't keep an eye on the future? All you have to do is stick them in a closet or just stick them way out of the Away, and things stay mint unless they get moist and wet or something.
1: Now, if he had maybe put those all of, all of them but one into a wood chipper, <laughs> like those guys did with that VHS uh, tape of a movie,
2: uh-huh. uh, what would the value have gone up to? A million? Uh, well, there's never been a million-dollar concert poster, only half a million. But, you know, that, that concept is very interesting because quantity can kill the value of something. And so I once found 97 mint unused Beatles concert tickets from seattle 97 of them and i told the gal i said if you had two or three i'd pay you a lot for these but you've got 97 you're going to water down the market so
1: he threw out 95 of them and you <laughs> took the other two that's what you should do but nope they got <laughs> out into the market have you acquired anything of interest since the
2: last time we spoke well the company or myself you- Either, Either way. Yeah. Um, I found a, a nice lady in Klamath Falls, Oregon, whose father collected these posters and put them up around, uh, rather, didn't put them up. He took them down around town. And she had really strong emotional ties to them. It took me months to talk her out of them. And the only way I could is an old trick in the collector's trade. I finally promised to make her perfect quality laser prints of each one, which they're not just photocopies, they're really done slowly and well, $100 each. But she could. To take those and put them back in the frames, she sold the originals. It was Duke Ellington in the early 50s, Chuck Berry in the late 50s, Ike and Tina Turner in the early 60s, lots of Roy Orbison, just lots of great music. So I was tickled to death to get that stash.
1: Do you encounter a lot of uh, fakes?
2: Yes, yes, counterfeits and fakes are abundant in this hobby. Yes.
1: Uh, How do you spot? How can you tell a fake? What do you look for?
2: Case by case. It's really case by case. You know, the, a fake Grateful Dead Skeleton of Roses has a whole different story than a fake. The, the, the Beatles' Shea Stadium is really funny fakes because um, they started making them a few years after the concert. They'd use the wrong picture, they'd pick the wrong date, they'd put a big 1965 on there when the original poster didn't have to say the year. It was only put up in July. The concert was in August. Who needed to tell people? It was 1965. (laughs) So, you know, case by case on the fakes, but they're everywhere. Uh, Pete Howard on this
1: broadcast. If somebody has something they think is of value, what should they do?
2: Well, definitely drop me a line. I'll give, we'll give them my information. And then sure. the, the neat thing is is that I would then funnel it to the specialist. If somebody calls with some antique jewelry or even valuable jewelry, they could send me the email. I would forward it to the jewelry specialist. But you're particularly interested in concert posters. Well, personally, myself, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, not just that, but music memorabilia. I've bought autographed Beatle albums. I've, I've bought... You know, if it's music I love, Billy Holiday, Hank Williams, whatever, I, I can go for it.
1: Is somebody is it worth more if the per, if the singer is dead?
2: Kind of, maybe, not really. Ask <laughs> that for three answers. Um, but I, my theory is, before the internet, when somebody died, their stuff went up. The trouble is, now that the internet came and eBay came, Prince or Tom Petty die the next day. There's three hundred new collectibles by those musicians on eBay. From people trying to cash in and make a quick buck on the death. And so the prices are depressed because there are so many choices.
1: I've got about five or six Billy Joel things all signed by him. Oh, all nice. authenticated. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan, so I'm not going to let go of it mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But if he were to pass away, mm-hmm. would those go up in value?
2: Perhaps? I think they would. I think they would. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Yeah,
1: I'll hold on to them.
2: Uh, how do people find you, Pete? Uh, okay, so they can write to me at uh, my heritage email address is pete h, p e t e h at h a dot com, and h a stands for Heritage Auctions. And my direct line cell phone number you can also text me is eight zero five three zero five. 3572. But don't call them before 5 o'clock.
1: Or you can just email me and I'll be glad to connect you with Pete. We'll take a break. We'll come back and continue our conversation. I'm Dave Congleton. We're live. We're local. This is Hometown Radio. It is uh, 419 on KBEC. I'm Dave Congleton. We're joined by Pete Howard. Uh, Pete, as we bring uh, Gary from into the conversation. Introduce Gary for us.
2: Yeah, Gary is the longtime director of entertainment music for Heritage Auctions, and he's got a lifelong career in music. He once ran a record store chain in California called Blue Mini Records, and Gary's been just a vinyl expert for decades and decades, and he's been to Europe. He's been uh, Record shows and affairs he's been to hundreds of times. And at Heritage, Gary works closely with the families of people like Whitney Houston, John Wayne. He's worked with Graham Nash. And Neil Sean of Journey um, getting all these, you know, celebrity instruments, Linda Rodstad's piano and everything. So, why don't we hear from them? Here's Gary. Hey,
0: Gary, how are you? Hey, top of the day to you guys. Thanks for joining I'm doing us. just great. I understand you have something special in your hands. I got something special in my hands. Today I, I traveled across town, and well, I'll explain what it is real fast. In 1968, the Beatles put out the White Album, Right. and they decided that they were just uh, no picture on it, we don't want a picture on it, right. just drove the, the record label nuts. Oh, that's a mistake. We're just going to number them, you know, one to a million. And <laughs> so I go and see this gentleman, and he has number 18. The first 25 the Beatles had for themselves to give out to their friends. And somehow, this number 18 has worked its way from Liverpool, from a dealer over there to a gentleman over here, and he's brought it to us to auction off in May. And this is just, you know, all four Beatles touched it, and it's in unbelievable condition. It doesn't look like anybody played it. It's it's frightening, amazing condition. So this doesn't happen, and I get a little overzealous in some things like this, but, you know, thinking all this time since 1968 to have a record, in this kind of condition, and this type of pedigree and provenance is just unbelievable. So how much might that be worth today, Gary? Well, that's why we we auction stuff out. You know, when you find something in such great condition, and I'm going to say more of that with the collection that we have uh, coming up, you know, normally I would say it's probably a... In an average condition would be a 25 to 35 thousand dollar piece. Right. But in this kind of condition, get two people bidding on it because it is, you know, probably one of the nicest copies out there. who knows? It, it, we 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 could it go for forty? Could it go for sixty? Could it go for seventy-five? It could. I mean, we had a street fighting man picture sleeve of, of the Rolling Stones that was uh, banned from uh, sale. Only a few copies got out to radio stations and reviewers, and we were thinking, yeah, it's going to probably sell for around uh, twenty to twenty-five thousand. It ended up selling for eighty-one thousand. Couldn't predict it, but. Uh, you know, we we set a big record, and you know, there's, there's only a handful of them in the world. And why it was pulled off in 1968, it was a picture sleeve of two cops beating up a white kid in the streets. So that that was a big, no, we've got to get that off the market. That can't go out. How that slipped by the uh, people at London Records, who knows? But then it came out with just a London sleeve and had no picture sleeve at all.
1: I never heard that story. That's amazing. Were you wear that beat? Of Yeah,
2: sure, the Street Fighting Man picture sleeve is a legendary collectible and you just you just never will find it except from an elite collection and as Gary said, we were thinking 20 grand or something when that thing went for 80 grand, the whole record world talked about it for days.
1: <laughs> Isn't it like the Beatles? Uh, which album is it where they originally had the the pigs? But butcher cover. The butcher cover. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it had all the dismembered babies and pieces of meat. They had white smocks like they worked in a butcher shop. And they had all these, uh, you know, an arm sticking out there and a head of a doll over here and a, here's a steak and here's some ground beef over here. <laughs> it was quite a bizarre cover that these get passed and printed and put out for two days before they took it back. And I have one coming up in the Copeland collection that is just spectacular condition.
1: Craig has put a picture of the Street Fighting Man album up for us to see. single.
2: That's a single, by the way, the Street Fighting
1: Man. All right, so Gary, let's. Uh, we're talking about Jim Copeland for our listeners, as in the Copeland Brothers. Everybody in the county has heard of the Copeland Brothers. Jim Copeland recently passed away. So how did you get involved with his estate, and what's going on?
0: Well, we were contacted at our Beverly Hills office about this massive vinyl collection. And generally, you know, b- people contact us all the time, and it's just an average collection. Here's, here's Black Sabbath used Copies, and here's Captain and Daniel and here's some Beatle albums, and here's some Van Halen albums. It's it's no, nothing that really goes to auction because it's just secondhand records. But when this list came to me, my eyes popped out of my head at at the quality of the selection. I am just looking at this, I'm going, the jazz stuff that was on there is stuff that I had my store for twenty eight years. I'd say at least sixty five, seventy percent of those pieces that were listed in the jazz part of the list, I'd never had my hands on in my life. Mm. And if I did, the condition was so so. But then it went into blues, blues rock, unbelievable psychedelic stuff that just you couldn't believe. Soundtracks—it's just a variety that you couldn't believe—and then the conditions. This 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 spreadsheet was so uh, detailed. Here's a mono copy of this album. Here's the stereo copy of it. Here's the. DJ promo copy of it, here's the still-sealed copy of it, here's the German copy of it, here's the Mobile Fidelity copy of it. Wow. You know, um, take, for instance, uh, Velvet Underground and Nico, very rare album, especially the original, because it had this torso cover that was banned, and they put a black sticker over it, you know, not long after it had come out, and it's just... tough to find, and it had the banana from Andy Warhol on one side of the cover, and you could actually peel the peel off the banana, and you'd have a, a banana underneath it. You know, typical Andy Warhol <laughs> humor. This this guy had ten copies of it. Ten. Ten. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, yeah, and, and they sell, in, in this kind of condition, even still-sealed copies that weren't even open, we don't know what it's going to go for. I don't think I've ever seen a still-sealed copy go to market for an auction, because Who wouldn't have opened that album back at the time? Just like there's still Sealed Beatle albums in here. Who wouldn't have opened up Rubber Soul?
1: Yeah, so Jim Copeland had thousands of records. So how does this work now, Gary? How can people bid on this? What happens now?
0: What happens now is we're gonna offer this collection over a period of about three years, because there's that much. You just can't put all this kind of stuff on the market at once. And it, it it's it would it would make people go crazy. They just go cross eyed and it's I can't believe this. So what we're having is an auction, we're having a four day auction and you know, it's, you know, P's having his poster auction. He's got a two-day poster auction coming up. I've got uh, the Friday auction is going to be final. There's going to be about 250, 270 pieces to begin in this uh, first auction just to let people know what we've got. We've pulled out some really high-end jazz items and blues items and rock items, and people can go on our website at he.com. Come into the uh, music section because we have forty-four different divisions here at Heritage. Yeah. and we're one of the we are the biggest auctioneer in the world for memorabilia. Hmm. When is that and going to be? What's the date for it, Gary? The date date is going to be May eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth.
1: All right, um, let me stop you here, Gary, and Gary's uh, going to stick around with us for a while. Pete Howard's in studio with me. Gary Shrum on the phone. From Heritage Auctions, we're talking about rock memorabilia and posters and records and all sorts of stuff. We are off to California headline news and ABC Radio News. Craig updates us with Time Saver Traffic and Weather Together. We'll continue our conversation with my guests straight ahead. You're listening to Hometown Radio for the Central Coast. It is the Dave Congleton Show. This is the Dave Congleton show, always your hometown radio talk show. We are in conversation in studio with Pete Howard and on the phone with Gary Schrum. both are with heritage auctions we're talking about collecting concert posters and record albums and 45s and memorabilia. And, Gary, as we come back to you, I want to make sure we remind folks of this local connection with Jim Copeland, who recently passed away of the... Everybody knows the Copeland brothers in this town. I want to remind them of what you're doing with his record collection.
0: Yeah, Well, Jim had put together just this amazing collection. And I I can't stress... This is, a collection like this has never come to auction. This is, this is the first time. This is a big, big deal. And a lot of people go. Oh, he just put these records together over the years. What's the big deal? It's the condition, the quality, and the particular copies that he had, the first pressings. When records started coming out in the '40s and '50s, the equipment back then were, was very primitive. So, if you got a cool record and you played it a lot, it wore out really fast. Sure. And you—you you couldn't. You know, a lot of these records went right out of print, especially the jazz—the jazz 10 inches and 12. Inches, you just don't find them in decent condition. These are frightening condition. Some of the best copies ever to come to auction. We are going to be offering in this series of auctions that we do. As far as the rock and roll stuff goes, it does come up once in a while in these kind of conditions. But the jazz and the blues, not so much. So it's 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 really exciting for us to let people know how what a big deal it is. It's, it's very incredible to be able to offer this type of stuff. And it's be able to be available for people to purchase. Just like we've done with concert posters Mm -hmm. in which you and Pete have been talking about. For years, people never understood how rare concert posters were. Oh, it's, it's just a poster. Yeah, but they only made a few copies of them. Yeah, but Gary, but, did, but Gary, hang,
1: Gary, <laughs> Gary, hang on, buddy, hang on. I'm trying to keep up with you. For the people who, like me who are new to all this, how mm-hmm. are they going to be able to bid on these records?
0: Well, they can just go right on our website. It's very easy. The auction will go live about the 20th, 21st of April. It'll last for three weeks. The last day, we have bidding by phone. We have bidding in the room. Maybe somebody is going to be busy and they wanted to put a proxy bid in. They can put a proxy bid in. Most people are bidding on the Internet, and they can watch it on our website, see where they're going, and they can be the last man standing. They win their piece. They pay for it. It's shipped to them, and um, it's pretty darn easy. Gary, what's the website? What's the website, Gary? The the website is ha.com. And you just click into the music department and you'll mm-hmm. see all the groovy things that we got coming up. We even have an auction going right now on uh, various vinyl. Mm-hmm. But this special vinyl coming up from uh, Jim Copeland's collection, the first stuff to be offered will be our uh, May auction on the 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th. And Jim's stuff will be on the 12th.
1: Why am I? I'm confused. Okay. Because I'm hearing, okay. I'm hearing May twelfth, but I'm also hearing April twentieth to the twenty-first.
0: That's when the, the auction will start. Okay, the auction will go about a three-week period. People can bid for three weeks.
2: I see. Mm-hmm. So then, what will happen on May twelfth? Live auctioneer, catalog, podium, internet streamed and everything. That's when the hammer falls on each item. I've got 2000 for this. Do I hear 2200 and so forth? Okay. And then it ends in so I So
1: I can bid online up until? Three weeks ahead of time, right? Okay. You can drop
2: in bids all along the way. A lot I of see. people do that. A lot of people wait to the last second. I got
1: you. Yeah. All and right.
2: by the way, the, the key number to mention here is 7306. If people want this auction to see Gary's records, my posters, and other memorabilia, ha.com slash Seventy three oh six. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm assuming
1: Gary that you're expecting heavy bidding on this, given the significance of the collection.
0: Oh, absolutely! It's going to be exciting. You know, the the, the, the day of the auction, Pete and I are on the telephones doing a lot of the phone bidding. So it, it's very exciting for us because we're right in the middle of the mix. Mm-hmm. I've got a Sometimes question. Sometimes an item can sell in. A minute, sometimes it takes five minutes. There's that many people bidding.
1: I got a question coming in on the Stolberg Tatum text line. Pete, let me go to you on this first. I still have my Ramones poster from the concert And 95, I'm sure that that could be worth something along with the ticket stub from the show in Bakersfield.
2: Yeah, the good news is the Ramones are one of those highly collectible bands. There are certain bands from eras where uh, they appreciate with value, that the music holds up really well, they have strong fan bases. Other bands that had a lot of hits and so forth just sort of fade away. And the Ramones, fortunately, are a very strong band. So a poster with a ticket stub is nice, although you get to the 1990s and the stuff is perhaps a, a bit less valuable because so many people saved the things. And Gary, here's a question
1: for you on the Stolberg Tatum text line from David. Hi David. He writes you may recall that Jim Copeland also amassed an amazing collection of baseball cards and memorabilia that was sent to auction in the early two thousands. Then he got involved in classic vinyl. Do you know think about that,
0: Gary? Yeah, yeah, I know that he sold an amazing collection way back. And uh I heard it it did very well but uh I can't, I can't comment too much on it because my, my gig is music, it's but, not sports. So yeah. I don't know what individually he had and what was the high points of that collection.
1: But what I'm struck by, gentlemen, is the idea that he didn't get into this, according to David here, until the early 2000s. And in a short amount of time, he was able to amass this incredible collection.
0: Do you know, Gary, when well, he started? Well, you know, I don't know exactly how long he was collecting before that. I know that at that time he got a lot more spending money to use to, to buy higher-grade pieces and spend more money on it. As far as I, as I understand, he'd been listening to music and buying records for quite a long time. I mean... He was in his mid-80s, and he was really a a connoisseur of all kinds of different music. It was amazing, all the stuff he was listening to. This
2: is very common, Dave. There's a lot of serious collectors out there that Gary and I deal with all the time, and they do not stick to one category. They have this collecting gene that it's almost just really strong, and Mr. Copeland's a great example. Here's this incredible record collection, but he also had this incredible baseball card collection. And when Gary and I first visited the estate and the family, they gave me the catalog from Sotheby's, because I'm a former baseball card collector. And they gave me an extra copy I took it home, and there was a Honus Wagner baseball card, and a Mickey Mantle rookie card, and so forth. So he was um, just a really classy high-end collector in a lot of disciplines apparently.
1: Gary, is that an interesting question, though? There's a difference to me between someone who's collecting because of the passion for the music, and someone who's just collecting for the sake of collecting.
0: Well, there's... with Music, I think it's both ways. I think people have to know what they're listening to this gentleman knew what he was listening to he spent almost a million dollars on his sound system <laughs> so you, you, he was just buying it just for for value why would he spend the uh that much on the on the you know speakers and turntable i mean he, he was just the 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 music room was unbelievable you know it just it just was one of the most amazing and things and then to the family into, he yeah. would lock himself in there for hours and just groove on tunes Mm-hmm.
2: You, what, it was, you, well, when we walked into the music room, the Copeland Music Room, it was one of the nicest sites I've ever beheld as a collector. It was built, I believe, just for the music collection. It had hi-fi equipment to beat the band, just incredibly expensive equipment, and so beautifully organized, I felt like there wasn't a piece of dust in the whole room. And that was his house <laughs> here in San Luis Obispo? Mm, yeah.
1: Uh, another question on the Stolberg Tatum text line. You can both answer. I'll start with you, Gary. Why are contemporary why are cont uh trying to read this text why are the contemporary concert posters worth so
2: much money
0: well you'd be asking pete that one now he's the poster yeah. man right. yeah you can yeah. both come well, it pete?
2: depends on what you mean by contemporary to me contemporary means fairly modern and recent and they're not worth so much money um You know, unless it has a really special cachet. I was talking to somebody the other day who's thinking of signing to Heritage. The concert poster for the show Tupac was on the way to when he died. And so that's a really special cachet, and that, that could probably bring some serious money. But the thing oh, is yeah. That, that, yeah, they make a lot of them now, and they have for years. They make a whole bunch, and most people save them thinking this is a collector's item. You get back 50 years, nobody was thinking this could be a collector's item, and so they were all thrown away, and now they're valuable.
1: Uh, well, I guess on a general question, Gary, is becomes, why is this stuff, whether it's a record album or poster or memorabilia, why is it worth so much money?
0: Well, because there's not a lot of them out there. You know, there, there's people that want them, and they, when people start bidding on them, okay, see, uh, in our poster auctions everything starts at zero there's no opening bid and something may end at selling for $800, eight hundred dollars eight thousand dollars twenty five thousand dollars one hundred and twenty it, five thousand dollars and it's the people that want the piece that decide what it goes for and it sets a price for it because people have educated themselves they realize that this has never been out there a lot of times it's the condition is so important you can find a ratty one with uh, missing corners and things like that on a poster or a record that has some scratches and maybe somebody's written their name on the cover. But when you get a record that looks like it was printed last week, they know that's really special and somebody has kept that in this kind of condition where it could be a rare baseball card or a rare coin. You know, music stuff is very cheap compared to what baseball and sports collectibles are going for, or coins. Or look at comic books. Comic books sell in the hundreds of thousands into the millions. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. so music is just starting to, to deserve the prizes that it is uh, getting now because it is so rare, and it's hard to find them in great shape.
1: Yeah. All right, I've got to take a break, but Gary, we're going to let you go. I appreciate you joining us. Anything you want to say in closing, sir?
0: No, I just hope everybody looks at the website and enjoys what they see and uh look at all the other great stuff. I mean, we're just not having records and posters. We have autographs and all kinds of other, you know, even some gold awards for sale. It's some really groovy stuff coming up in this four-day auction.
1: I love the fact somebody's still saying groovy. I love it. Uh, Gary, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it thanks very much, for having sir. Me. Thank you. All right, though, take a quick break. We'll come back for a final segment with Pete Howard. I'm Dave Congleton. We're live. We're local. This is hometown radio. Glad to have you with us on Hometown Radio. Hope you'll stick around. ABC News at the top of the hour. I think Gary from Pismo is going to talk about uh, being homeless for a while and follow up on the conversation we had earlier this week with Lance. We're in our final segment with uh, Pete Howard. He is the Entertainment and Music Consignment Director for Heritage Auctions with a specialty in Classic Concert Posters. And we just heard from his colleague Gary Shrum talking about the Jim Copeland Record Collection. That is going to be available for auction starting in mid-April. But now you have a poster auction coming up.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that weekend of May 11th through 14, there's one day for the Copeland Vinyl, two days for Concert Posters, and a fourth day for Miscellaneous. And the Concert Poster Division, we have um, acquired some content from the world's <laughs> biggest and best concert poster collection in New York City. Now I have known the gentleman for a long time, over 20 years, but he was just a collector. He never had a a desire to sell, and he's finally decided to crack his vault and give us like 150 of the best posters. Why? Why? Because I think everybody, because things have been going up in value so much, and I think any collector, um, he has multiple copies of a lot of things, and so selling one copy is is no problem. And he's got fantastic stuff. I mean, just figure the best collection in the world of anything, even seashells. I mean, it it would be breathtaking. And this concert poster collection is breathtaking. And that's going to be on the Thursday, May 11. And then on the Saturday, May 13th, are the rest of the concert posters. And we've got another Beatles Shea Stadium concert poster. Remember I mentioned that's a quarter million dollar poster. We're hoping it surpasses that, of course. This one will really crack you up. We've got, remember when um, JFK in 1962 at Madison Square Garden, when Marilyn Monroe said, yeah, happy President. birthday, Mr. President, yeah. there's only two known original posters for that show. And we've got one of them coming up. What is the poster show? It shows a picture of JFK, yeah. and then it lists uh, some of the big celebrities there, including Ella Fitzgerald and Bobby Darin, I think, the performers, and Marilyn Monroe is listed there. And I have one poster expert tells me he swears it's going to go for between fifty and and $100,000, just because of the cachet of JFK, Marilyn Monroe. There's only two left. There's only two, in collector circles that anybody's seen. But that's what's fun about this hobby. There could be one sitting in the attic in Manhattan right now, and the people don't know what they have. Have. Uh, yeah, I mean, the odds are there's more than two. That's right. That's right. But that's why I always say two known in collector circles. You wanted
1: to follow up while Gary was talking about how we. How we assess the value of things and why, why this stuff is worth so much money.
2: Yeah. What's really interesting there's sort of a saying. I don't hear it too much, but in the auction business that if a poster sell or a record or anything sells for $10,000, people will come to us and say, wow, you know, maybe I can get 10000 and maybe they can. But there's a saying that an item is worth, if they say, is that, does that mean it's worth that much? It's only worth as much as the third bid. Because if you Explain. really think about it, the top two people are duking it out for that item. The winner gets it. The runner-up falls back down and says, oh, well, I'll still bid that high next time. But what did the third bidder, if the third bidder stopped at 2000 then the second-place winner is going to win it for 2200 And unless you get a second, uh, an, another new second bidder in there. So, you know, it's not a fail-safe uh, philosophy. It's just an interesting one. Yeah.
1: Do, um, is there such a thing, P as peaking? So, uh, stuff from the baby boomer era um, mm-hmm. will will still be worth a lot twenty years from now, or is now the time?
2: Well, I'm not being a salesman when I say I firmly believe now is the time because baby boomers are still alive and collecting and and digging this stuff.
1: Because they're the ones who are interested in
2: it. Absolutely. They lived it, though. The emotional connection. You have to have the emotional connection for stuff to sell for a lot. So in
1: 2045, if somebody has a poster for a Woodstock, there may not be the interest that there would be today.
2: That's correct. I think there'll be an interest for five or ten of them, like in museums and stuff, because it's such an important weekend. But I believe like this Grateful Dead Skeleton and Roses, um, there's a lot of them, a lot of different printings. And I just want, I mean, m- museums will want to have one and so forth, but there won't be deadheads. Right now there's people who still follow the dead on tour. But the, the dead are going away. You know, they're resigning this year, the dead and co. And the collectors are just aging out is the expression. All
1: right, so with what's happening in May, let's give people some tips as to how they might, how, how might, they might participate in the auction and really have a chance of, of scoring something.
2: What advice do you give? I would recommend definitely going to the website ahead of time. As Gary said, we go live three weeks before, but just go to that 7306. If you forget that number, just go to Entertainment and Music, and you can, starting in mid-April, you can look at all the items, pictures of them and all the descriptions and see what tickles your fancy. And then as the auction, you'll notice some bids are starting to come in and it's the funniest thing because a week ahead of the, the auction, something could be $1 over here and 5000 over here, but come auction day, the $1 item does better. It just depends on when people want to bid, and then just watch it. I would, you know, we stream it online. People in Dallas, where Heritage is located, mm-hmm. they don't even want to get out of their pajamas. They all stay yeah. home and watch it on the internet.
1: The internet's changed everything, hasn't it?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: yeah, So, if you went there now, there wouldn't be anything. If you went on the website now,
2: actually, we have a few things pictured. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the owners of Heritage like to put things up as we're building it. They want to build the auction in front of people. So there's some things pictured, and there's a couple, few mistakes up there and a few wrong pictures. But we're, we're like building a house. You know, it's like homeowner coming by and seeing the foundation being laid and the beams put up. So uh, there's something now for 7306.
1: And I assume you have a personal collection of posters. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, sure. And I mentioned, of course, those recent Oregon acquisitions of the Chuck Berry and Duke Ellington and Roy Orbison and Jerry Lee Lewis.
1: As a personal collector, what are you looking for?
2: What do you like to collect? The, the music I love. The music I love. And then on top of that, though, that's not just that. So, you know, I'm a typical classic rocker. Beatles, Bob Dylan, Go Back in Time, Hank Williams, um, and Louis Armstrong, all that stuff. But also I love um, scarcity and rarity. I don't want to buy something if there's 50 or 100 known. And uh, and then I appeal. I want it to look good. I want it to look great. Please my eyes.
1: There's a lot to the design of concert posters, isn't there? there, It's an art form in and of itself.
2: Mm -hmm, That's right. But what's a shame is people did not take credit for designing concert posters for almost the entire run. You know, concert posters are about 100 years old now. They started in the mid-1920s. Now it's the mid-2020s. What do we know about the beginning? Um, I've only seen a few posters from the 1920s. They're very scarce, but they were called broadsides back then, and they were like heralds that would say, you know, uh, this orchestra is coming, or this and that. And then by the 1930s, they had really settled into concert posters for the big band era with the Dorsey Brothers, Benny Goodman, Louis Armstrong. So the 30s is when it got rolling. So that goes back to my earlier question.
1: Stuff from the 1930s, would that still be of high value today because a lot. Most most of those people are gone
2: that's uh, negatory that it's disappointing how um uh how low valued big band stuff is now from the 30s and 40s because my parents danced the jitterbug to that music yeah. my parents are gone it's only people like me who appreciate the history of the music but i don't have an emotional pull and the biggest surprise for me dave is frank sinatra um, he, his stuff is just not valued that high. My mom really? was a Bobby Soxer, so she swooned at Frank Sinatra. But, you know, the baby boomers only know strangers in the night and, you know, something stupid from the 60s. And he's just not a money. It's the craziest thing. So who are the money artists? Well, if it's
1: not Frank Sinatra, then who?
2: Beatles, Elvis, Dylan, Zeppelin, Doors, Hendrix, so the best psychedelic stuff. Buddy Holly from the 50s. Um, so you know the very the, I call them postage stamp artists. All those people have been on a U.S. postage stamp, except well, the Beatles haven't—not yet, anyway. The Beatles haven't been on a stamp. Not not a U.S. stamp. Maybe to... in England, but not U.S.
1: All right, as we start to wind things down, Pete, let's remind folks about the concert poster auction taking place in this spring.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's coming up on uh, May 11 through 14, but concert posters specifically May 11 and. 13, and we've got the, the just, you know, I, I sound like a salesman. I couldn't say this any other time in my career. It's the world's biggest and best concert poster collection. And David Schwartz, the owner, has cracked it open and given us 150 gem pieces from it. And just his name is going to carry a lot of cachet. And it's just got a, a whole bunch. We've got an Elvis Presley. That's um, another consigner, actually. We've got an Elvis Presley 1957 concert poster from Tupelo, Mississippi, his hometown. And the poster came out of Colonel Tom scrapbook. How's that? That's up for Providence. Wow. That's amazing. And
1: then the, the Jim Copeland vinyl collection
0: mm-hmm.
1: is also going to be going on auction. Mm-hmm. But people can go online starting in mid-April, April 20th, 21st, to see the complete uh Inventory that's up for
2: auction. That's correct. There's some up now. There's already a lot of album covers that are up now on our site, but they're getting added every day. We're cataloging. We're, we're, you know, photographing, writing about them and putting them up. Website day. is? HA.com, about as small and simple as you can get.
1: Uh, Pete Howard, always good to see you. Thanks for coming in. I got about 30 seconds for a final thought.
2: Oh, well, thank you for having me. That's certainly a final thought. And, um, it's the golden era right now of auction houses and it's all coming together. The pandemic, believe it or not, really boosted the auction business. People have more time to spend at home and collect. And so it's a great time to, well, it's a really fun time to buy and a great time to sell if you've got Baby Boomer collectibles.
1: And a great time to visit with Pete Howard. Pete, thanks for Thank being here. Thank you for your time. Off we go. we got news and traffic and weather. Gary from Pismo joins us next. We're live. We're local. This is Hometown Radio.